We bless your name, Lord, for your direction, inspiration, guidance, and guiding by your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. The title this morning, A Recipe for Healthy Spiritual Growth. Well, this changed early in the morning into Recipe for Spiritual Growth and Godly Edification. The reason being that our spiritual growth, it's not to be used in isolation. The reason why the Lord wants us to grow spiritually is because he also wants to use us in the building up of his spiritual house. Personal revival, spiritual growth, is ultimately for the godly edification of the body of Christ. I insist on godly edification because I found that in the Bible. Because there can be an ungodly edification. Why am I saying that? Remember Paul said, as a wise master builder, he has laid the foundation. He says, let everyone be careful in the way he's building. So there can be a type of building that is not godly. That is on a shaky, sinking foundation. Hence me preferring to refer to godly edification. So our personal growth in God is for the purpose of the building up of God's spiritual house. A recipe for healthy spiritual growth to which you can add and godly edification. Main reading, please turn with me to First Peter Chapter 2. First Peter, chapter 2. And we're reading from verse 1 to verse 3. Therefore, laying aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the world, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Amen. This passage flows naturally from what Peter has just been talking about in the previous chapter 1 about the enduring word of God. You see, the word of God endures forever, and it is the word which we receive through the gospel of salvation and by which we now live. 
we start with the word and we live by the word. And the word will lead us to Jesus Christ, to eternity with him, because it is the eternal word of God. It is called the gospel of salvation. So, the word of God was announced to us, was brought to us through what is called the gospel, the good news of God towards humankind. And we need to maintain ourselves in the same word in order to deepen our fellowship with God and to lead a life that is pleasing to God. So, we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. In Exodus 32, 16, I think, when the Ten Commandments were given to Moses, they were written from God's own fingers. That's the coming of the word of God. And then God started adding, explaining. That's how the Bible came to us ultimately. It came initially written by the finger of the almighty God. That's where the Bible is coming from, from heaven. It is established in heaven. It's not mere words of man. We talk about that a bit more later on, God willing. So, we have purified our souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love for the brethren, which enables us to love one another fervently with a pure heart. That's summarized for you, chapter 1. So that's the context from which Peter is coming from. When he's asking us, like newborn babes, to desire the word of God. By grace, we have been saved. Therefore, we should rest our hope fully upon the same grace. You see, it's easy, easier to understand the fact that we are not saved by work. That's easy. We are saved by grace through faith in God. But in actual fact, it becomes very challenging to accept and apply the same truth in our daily works. You see, we shift from that initial understanding and we begin to think that we can do things on our own strengths. We forget that it all starts by grace and we live by grace. In fact, we are encouraged to maintain ourselves in the same grace. Not on our own strength. That's impossible. So it is important to realize that in the same way we were saved by grace through faith, the same mechanism applies in our daily Christian life. In the same way we cannot save ourselves, it is impossible to live 
the newness of life without trusting God and resting upon his grace. Spiritual growth and godly edification are intrinsically linked to how much we rest on God's grace and how much of our life we are prepared to let God rule over. The key feature of our new life in Christ is our desperation and hunger for the word of God, which is the spiritual food for our souls. That word was and is preached to us by the gospel, which is the good news. I've said that already. First Peter was written in a context of growing persecution of the believers. And it is a reminder that we should live for God. We should be holy because God is holy. This epistle is also an exhortation and a testimony to the grace of God in which we are called to abide. Very, very important that we understand that. Otherwise, we will simply be beating the air. And we will move from one degree of frustration to a greater degree of frustration because it won't work. From one measure of guilt to a greater measure of guilt because we're trying to beat the air. We're trying to do things ourselves. It won't work. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. <laughs> By grace, we are saved through faith, and we need to continue abiding in the same grace by faith, knowing that the end of our faith is in God, is the salvation of our soul. You see, that's why we believed. That's why we trust God. The end is salvation of our soul. The end is eternity with God. Well, I like that quote from David Possum you say earlier. Yeah? We want happiness, gladness in this life and holiness in heaven. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the world that you may grow. You see, in this passage, from my experience, I've noticed that, and rightly so, sometimes, the emphasis seems to be put always on the pure milk, the word of God. Whenever we read this passage, we move to the pure milk. Now, as newborn babes. In this case, is the receiving heart that matters here as the newborn babes. So everything else depends on the receiving end. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 2 to 4, Jesus called a little child to him. Set him in the midst of them and said, that Matthew 18, 2 to 4, 
Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and became like little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's what I'm talking about. That's linked to being as newborn baby. Remember, it's not a status, it's a resemblance. Remember what I told you the other day? How English is very, very, very beautiful, making a difference between what? Childishness, childhood, childlikeness. You don't find that in, in French. So it's about being like a child in the relationship with God the Father. In fact, we are called to be even child when it comes to evil. To be like child when it comes to evil and not to be sophisticated in evil. Notice that the Lord gave this answer in Matthew 18, 2-4. It was an answer to the disciples who were very much interested in knowing who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. The answer, the Lord's answer seems to turn everything upside down. Who will be the greatest? Where well, the humblest will be the greatest. The word of God is always, will always be in competition with our own will, with various philosophies and traditions, However, if we were truly born again by the word of God, then as newborn babes, we will have a determined and even aggressive appetite for the word. A newborn babe? Have you seen one? Hungry? Well, that's the picture. It's desperation. We have five kids, and we've, got, we've been through the process. You know. yeah. Sometimes you need to wash the bottle itself. You, know. you need to warm a little bit, and then it's very hot. You need to cool down, and the baby wants, you know. It's, that's, that, that's the picture. <laughs> In the book of Colossians, we are warned not to be cheated through philosophies and empty deceit of the traditions of men which only confuse people. Philosophy on one, in one hand, on one hand, and tradition on the other hand. Jewish people, the problem was traditions. Greek people, the problem was philosophies. Most of these competing philosophies are demonically inspired in order to distract people from God's purpose. Most of these philosophies. Some of them borrow a bit from the word of God just to confuse things. Remember in Acts 17, I think, Paul clarifying the issues between the Epicureans and the Stoicists because those two things can confuse people. I've even heard Christians saying, be stoic. And one day, one brother, after preaching, like I'm preaching this morning, one brother came to me and said, how did he know that stoic meant that? 
For him, stoic only means courageous. There's more to it. It's a philosophy of a man called Zeno, Zenon in French, who lived 330 years BC. And say you should be strong when you're going through trials. Just be strong, fight yourself, be courageous. But in the Bible, we are called to trust God in everything, not on our own. Can you see the border? Very subtle, etc. Never mind. So, that's as newborn babe. One more thing. A newborn babe desires pure milk. Sorry, I forgot to say Jerome is there. That makes more sense to him. <laughs> A newborn babe desires pure milk. How does a newborn babe know, know that that milk is good? They don't know the brand. They don't read the expiry dates. They know nothing. They, they just, all they know, they need pure milk. The little body is programmed to receive good milk and will react instantly if the milk was damaged instantly. You can insist if you want. Have it. <laughs> and see the result. Because the organism, the organ, the inside, the body of a newborn babe is programmed to receive pure milk How are we born of the world? How are we born of God? How are we programmed to receive pure milk? Or we can just receive anything. Damaged milk. Oh, yeah, yeah. The taste is funny, but it's like yogurt, you know. <laughs> it's a bit hard this time. This Oh, it's like cheese. <laughs> from one state of damage to another, and you giving it a name. And there's more to it. More concerning if your body cannot react <laughs> to rotten milk. As newborn babe, desire pure milk. Why? Because you were born of the same seeds, incorruptible. And you desire to continue living by it. And because it's the same nature, the seed by which you were born is the same nature at what you hear from God. And you will live by it. Desire the pure milk of the world. Well, this is not a passive or optional desire for something, but it is a desperate hunger for the world, for survival in a context of sincerity and purity of heart. In fact, in chapter one, the whole discussion is about sincerity and purity of heart. The whole discussion. A newborn baby is pure. 
the word of God is pure and will affect in our lives if we receive it as the word of God. The Bible speaks of the effective work in the believer. Effective work in the believer. During the prayer meeting on Thursday, uh, John mentioned something in Mark chapter 2. Very, very good. Uh, same that happened there. Remember, the Lord was preaching in a house and people brought a paralytic by the top, by the roof. Remember that? Well, John reminded us from the Bible that as the Lord was teaching, there were some people there who were reasoning, reasoning. And the Lord perceived that from in his spirit and know what they were reasoning about and told them. That is not receiving the word of God like newborn babes. No. Reasoning, no. We have to be open. We have to the Bible says you do not need anyone to teach you because the Holy Spirit teaches you everything. Does that mean you don't need pastors, you don't need teachers, you don't need brethren to help? No. It means the building capacity by the Holy Spirit will help you to discern like a newborn baby what is wrong from what is good. That's what it means. Let us not be of the people who reason and question everything. There is a difference between discerning and questioning. There are two different things. Unfortunately, we are all in trouble because of our favorite heroes and scholars. That's not what I heard. That's not what I've been believing in. That's not what XYZ believes in. Someone called me one day and said to me, uh, Brother Gee, I know you've been very close to Dave Hunt. What do you think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't need Dave Hunt to know the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What kind of question is that? The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, I've said this already. Number three, so number one, as newborn babes. Number two, desire the pure milk of the word. Number three, that you may grow thereby. Thereby means in that way. By that means, by the word of God. Hence my title, Healthy Spiritual Growth. Well, a baby can grow, but with a lot of deficiencies. If they don't get all the vaccines and everything that is needed, they will still grow, but the outcome won't be good. We pay attention, we give them vaccine, proper food, pay attention. That's what the Bible is talking about. That we may grow by that pure milk of the world. Question. 
How do we receive the word of God in our modern context of what I call religious supermarkets? How do we receive the words? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we read, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you, who believe. Lot of action verb, active verbs in here. Receiving the word, hearing the word, welcoming the truth of God, and believing it. Not just believing, no. Receiving it, welcoming the word of God. Welcoming the truth as the word of God. Because there is a risk that potentially we can welcome the truth as one of the truths. As mere word of man. Some people think Jesus Christ was just one of many wise people. That's not what, how we are commanded to receive the word of God. No. The word of God must be received as it is the word of God. It's to be received, to be heard, to be welcomed, to be cherished, you can add. And once we've done that, we've received and recognized it as the word of God, what happened? Then the word will begin to work effectively in those who believe it. That's how it works. Without faith, we cannot please God. And how does faith come? By the hearing the word of God. It's a package. Now, that you may grow thereby as a newborn babe. Does this mean that we should not grow? We should remain babes? No, that's not what the Bible says. You see, that's the reason why I'm telling you that the newborn babes here is an attitude, is a state of the heart. It's not a status on which we should dwell. Otherwise, the Bible would be contradicting itself because the Bible says you have become like a babe desiring milk, needing milk. You should be masters. Because solid food is for accomplished people, mature believers, you see? So there is a progress. We need to grow to solid food. But what does not change is the kind of appetite like a newborn babes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want my milk. I want now we need to move to solid food now but with the same appetite. However long we've been Christians, keep the same desire, the same hunger, the same appetite for the word of God. 
Yes, we are called to be familiar with the word of God, but not in a negative way. There is a negative familiarity. Oh, I've heard that. I've heard that from Billy Graham. Who are you? So we need to grow in the understanding of the revelation of spiritual things. We need to grow in more Christ-likeness. We need to grow in the knowledge of the hope of God's calling. We need to grow in the genuineness of faith and long-suffering. You see, patience in trials and suffering is linked to the genuineness of faith. Very important. And we need to grow. A Christian is not someone who, like a newborn babe, cries all the time. Grow to maturity, long-suffering, patient in trial and tribulations, supporting others, Comforting others by the comfort we ourselves have been comforted by God. Not only me all the time. Forgetting ourselves for a while and looking at what is happening in other people's life, not busy, but in a good way. We are called to grow in the forgiveness and fervent love for the brethren. Do you love the church? Do you love the brethren? The answer is probably yes for all of us. How does that translate into practice? How do you translate your love for the brethren into practice? I leave that to your appreciation. Very easy. I'm going to pray for you. I will pray for you. We hear that. So many times I've told the fellow believers, I know how to pray. I can pray. I know. I know how to knock at the heavenly doors. I can pray. Practicality is needed. Do not love in words only. Practicality. Look carefully and see what is happening. We are called to grow in the service to the Lord and the ministering to one another, but from a pure and sincere Heart. When I was teaching on the book of Joshua, I said we should help one another, help the brethren in need. I should have said something, which I told the family yesterday. You see, there are problems everywhere. Problem with helping and problem of, with those receiving help. Some people don't want to be helped. You got to make a huge effort before they can receive your help. You give something to say, oh, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. Clearly, you need help. Humility on both sides is needed. Problems. Some people don't want to be helped. Perhaps that makes them more godly. But the other problem is from the giving position. You don't help in order to ridicule, in order to gossip, in order to humiliate other people. You see, that also can explain the reason why people are reluctant to receive help. It's so complicated, these things. 
Because if they know that I'm a gossiper, nobody will receive my help. So there is work to be done everywhere. Those who meditate in God's law day and night, the Bible says, shall be like tree planted by the river of waters and will bring forth fruit in due season. When the Lord needs you, you will be ready to bring the fruit the Lord is looking for. But in order for that to happen, again, you have to love and to live by the word of God. Otherwise, we will not understand what is going on. What are people talking about? The word of God, I don't see all I see is name and city and complicated names. I don't understand what it is. Singing, yes, music. The word, no. But we need to immerse ourselves into it. We need to love the word of God. We don't understand everything. Otherwise, who will need God? This happened to me all the time, most of the time. I read things from start to finish with all my zeal in it, and I don't understand anything. The Apostle Paul was concerned about people's mind being potentially corrupt from the simplicity of the gospel. We hear a lot about sophisticated preachers. Well, one day I was preaching at Bridge Lane, and after preaching, a good lady came to me and she said, I can only listen to unsophisticated preacher. I, say, I said, I will be very happy to be one of those. I don't know what sophisticated preacher means. I don't know. <laughs> we don't need that. Paul was concerned that people will depart from the simplicity of the gospel. <coughs> that people will be corrupted because they want sophistication. Each year. More things. New things. What we call the basics, we need to live by them. Peter said, though you know them, I will remind you. Respect, love one another, prayer, love the word of God. Those simple things makes life, Christian life. The Apostle Paul also warned the Ephesians that we were engaged in a spiritual warfare but not against flesh or blood. This is spiritual warfare. And we have defensive and offensive weapons. Two offensive weapons. The word of God, which is the spirit, the sword of the spirit, yeah? And prayer, which represent a narrow And then you have all the defensive armor. So if we want to be on the offensive, then the word of God. We need to be into it. Remember that verse Paul said? 
casting down argument and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity to Christ's obedience, everything. It is only the word of God that can preserve the church from falling. The word of God. As I'm going towards my conclusion here, I will give you some um, illustration here. In the Bible, Jude found it necessary to write and exhort believers to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. These were believers. He had a different purpose and thought that because of false teachers, he needed to put something right there. I spent five days in Africa recently. It's chaos. When it comes to faith, it's chaos. Everywhere. You know, people are bombarded, bombarded with TV shows, with these mega churches, extremely rich pastors. And that's what people are taking every day. In fact, one pastor was asked why he no longer preached on repentance. And he said, well, there won't be anyone left in my church if I do that. I can see you very sad with this. In Africa, God is another name for Father Christmas. I can see you very sad. But listen to this. A pastor came once to visit churches here and went to preach in a church. After the service, he was going with the hosting pastor. And he noticed that the pastor had something like a remote control. As soon as they walk out of the church, the pastor just activated his remote. All the shutters, everything, the alarm, everything was. And the pastor said, what? You haven't shut the door. He said, that's what I've just done. The pastor said, what? You know, in my church in Africa, I spend one hour before leaving the courtyard to make sure that everything is locked, all the padlock everywhere because of faith. And the pastor from here told him, if something happens, everything is insured. To which the African pastor say, then you should start singing blessed insurance in this country. <laughs> Who need God? <laughs> so that's the problem here. They have their problem, there is problem here. An example of the things that seek to exalt themselves above the knowledge of God can be found in some of the things our children are being taught in school. Sat down in our kitchen, listening to the news, and my eyes went on a book for our second daughter who is doing her A-levels. The textbook is the AQAA level, Religious Studies, Paper 2, Study of Christianity and Dialogues, Revision Notes, 2016. 
I went into it and I found a section called Different Christian Views about celibacy, marriage, homosexuality, and transgender issues. I said, let me have a look and see what my Christian daughter studies. Number one, marriage, quotes from that book, textbook. In 1 Corinthians, Paul advocated celibacy unless sexual urges proved too strong, in which case the Christian concerned should marry. This concession was because Paul believed that the end of the world was imminent and marriage would be a distraction from preparing for judgment day. As time went on, it was clear that Paul had been wrong about the imminence of the second coming. Western society is very different from what it was even 50 years ago, and this, challenge, this challenges the traditional Christian view of marriage. Nowadays, Marriage is more about relationship than having children. Many marriage are civil ceremonies without no religious elements. Divorce is much more common now, and many people may be unwilling to live celibate after divorcing. Same-sex marriage and the adoption of children by same-sex couple are both legally permissible. That's in the textbook. How do you think a Christian young person will react if they're not solid, if the church does not clarify the situation? Troubled, they will have two positions. One in the church listening to the unsophisticated, unlearned people, and the other one from the sophisticated scholar who is more reliable. That's what we're having with our young people if we are not careful to see what is happening. On homosexuality, quote, until the second half of the 20th century, social attitude viewed homosexuality as unnatural and to be discouraged. In the last 50 years, both UK laws and prevailing social attitude have changed radically. 1967, homosexual acts carried out in private between consenting adults were decriminalized. 2005, laws permitting both civil partnerships and same-sex adoption came into force. 2010, the Equality Act made discrimination on the ground of sexual orientation a crime. 2014, the first homosexual marriages took place. Culture shifts. Where do we stand as Bible-believing people? Do we go with the culture? Do we stand on the permanent word of God? Listen to this. It goes on. The changing views of society which have been reflected in the laws of many Western countries have posed a considerable challenge to Christianity. Not other religion, Christianity. Now, this is interesting. The official position of some churches is clear. 
But individual members of those churches do not necessarily agree with those views. Problem. Do you begin to understand why Paul was worried? Why Paul was concerned that people's mind would be corrupted by shifting away from the simplicity of the gospel. The position of the church is the biblical position, but individual believers have other source of inspiration. Problem. Like newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the world. One of the key figures pressing for decriminalization in the mid-20th century was the then Archbishop of Canterbury, Geoffrey Fisher. I don't know if he's still alive. Most likely not. But from where he is, I don't know if he can see the damage of what he stood for today. Archbishop of Canterbury. They goes on to say there are a number of texts that refer to homosexuality as sinful in the Old Testament, the New Testament, etc. But in recent decades, Various scholars and churches have interpreted scripture differently. Many Christians will say that those scriptures reflect common culture, attitude of the time that they were written, and as such cannot be directly applied to modern life problems, believers. Well, I'm standing here preaching. I'm not under the impression that Everybody receives this as it's being given. But my work this morning as I'm standing here is to tell everybody who is born again of this word to come back and stand on this word. And look at everything from this stand view. Do you know what a point of view means? It's a point of view. It's a place from which I'm looking something. Look at everything from the Bible if you believe it and live by it. Young people. In fact, according to Christian Voice, Franklin Graham, Franklin Graham, Samatsuo, in the UK included evangelistic meetings at seven UK venues. But every one of those venues has caved into homosexual activists and canceled his appearance. All the seven venues they've canceled. One petition against Mr. Graham was signed by mere 5,000 people. And the chair of the Northern Pride group said on the petition site, quote, Franklin Graham's views are wholly inconsistent with our city, which is preparing to welcome huge celebrations and tens of thousands of people this summer for UK pride. To which Franklin Graham replied, the world has changed dramatically since my father Billy Graham was last here. Church membership has declined, morality is falling, the institution of marriage is at risk, godless secularism is permeating all levels of society, including, sadly to say, some churches. Though much has changed, the solution to our world problem hasn't changed. 
it lies in faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the timeless hope of the gospel. Now, the Bible says the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the names of Christ depart from evil. You see, that's evidence. You stand on the word of God, you hate evil. That's evidence. And the Lord knows those who are his and how they conduct themselves. The simple and clear biblical teaching on marriage is that marriage as instituted by God himself is between one man and one woman. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Genesis 2.24. Marriage is not to be broken because God hates divorce. Malachi 2 verse 16. Marriage is honorable among all and bad and defiled. Hebrews 13 verse 4. That's the stand. That's the, what the Bible teaches on marriage. Summarized for you. Dear brethren, if we were truly born of the Spirit of God, then we should desire earnestly the word of God and live by it as newborn babes. As sojourners and pilgrims, let us abstain from fleshly lust which war against our soul. God has called us to be his own people, to come out from among this perverse and rebellious generation and be separate in order for him to receive us as our father. Therefore, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting our holiness in the fear of God. That's the problem today. Holiness is linked to the fear of the Lord. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That's the biblical recipe for a healthy spiritual growth and godly edification. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I'm going to close with that song. And Pastor John will also close in prayer. God bless you. Amen.